Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Elhamdülillahi Rabbil Alemin. Vessalatu vesselamu ala Seyyidina Muhammed. Ala alihi ve sahbihi ecma'in. Esselamu aleyküm ve rahmetullahi ve berekatuhu. Inşallah tonight uh, we should be starting a new series about the ten that were promised paradise. Al-Ashra al-Mubashshirun. Those ten that were promised paradise by the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And we know there were many companions that were promised paradise. But these ten have been grouped specifically because they were mentioned in one hadith by the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu and they were promised paradise in their life before their death. And so in the coming weeks uh, and months, inshallah, I shall be going through all ten of these companions. And even though on each companion we could spend many hours and many lectures, but I'll try in each session to look at their lives briefly and pick out a few important events to try and get us to understand what made them so special. That the Prophet ﷺ would promise them paradise in their lives before their deaths. And so tonight, inshallah, we shall begin with the greatest of these ten companions and the greatest man to ever walk upon this earth other than the prophets and messengers of Allah. And that is, of course, Abu Bakr as-Siddiq. Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiallahu anhu was the greatest companion of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu And Abu Bakr as-Siddiq, to understand how special he is really, would require, as I said earlier, many lectures and many hours of discussion. But inshallah I will try briefly tonight to go through a summary of his life and to mention a few important events, a few important stories that really show us the importance of Abu Bakr and to appreciate him um, a little bit more. So Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiallahu his name Abu Bakr means the father of the young camel. Obviously it's not his real name, but it's a kunya, a nickname given to him. And the reason it was given to him is because they said that when he was young that he was very fond of young camels. And so that's why they gave him this kunya, uh, Abu Bakr, the father of the young camel. And As-Siddiq means the truthful one, the one that corroborates the truth. And this title was given to him by the Messenger of Allah, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And I'll touch upon that story, inshallah, later on. But of course, this is just his kunya, his nickname. His real name was Abdullah. That was his real name. And Abu Bakr, radiallahu anhu, he was just a few years younger than the Messenger of Allah, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So when the Messenger of Allah at 40 years of age became a prophet, Abu Bakr was about 38 years of age. And even before Islam, he and the Prophet were very close. They were friends. And just like the Prophet ﷺ was respected in society, and so too Abu Bakr. He was known as an honest man. He was known as a man of dignity. So he was well respected. He was from the tribe of Taim, which was one of the lesser tribes in Mecca, so he wasn't from the big tribes like Banu Hashim. But he was well respected, radiallahu anhu. And just to give you an insight into even before Islam, what he was like, how special he was, it was narrated that even before he became a Muslim, he never, at a, since a young age, he never worshipped any idols. So already his mind, his intelligence, the intelligence Allah subhanahu gave every single human being, to use, even if you don't have Islam, even if you don't know anything about Islam, Allah has given you aql and intelligence to use. 
And Abu Bakr used that. And he knew the worship of Arul was wrong. But he didn't know what else there was until Islam came along. And just to share a short story, uh, before he became a Muslim, he was once asked, he was once asked, um, Abu Bakr, did you ever drink alcohol before Allah prohibited it? And so he said, I seek refuge with Allah. And he mentioned the story, he said, before Islam, I watched a man, he was walking through the streets of Mecca, he was stumbling around, he was heavily intoxicated, heavily drunk. And he said, I watched this man and he picked up some feces and he was attempting to eat it. But he said, the smell was so repugnant that his body was forcing it away from him. But the man wanted to eat the feces. So he said, thought to himself, he said, when you drink alcohol, it takes away all a person's manliness, his dignity. It compromises you and puts you in very bad positions. So he said, I never wanted that to happen to me. So I never drank alcohol. And this was, even before Islam, this was the mind and the intelligence of Abu Bakr. He can clearly see and think and analyze, this action is wrong. If you're intoxicated, intoxicated you compromise yourself. Sahih radiallahu had this mindset even before Islam. So now you can understand that this was the way he was before Islam. And he was close to the Messenger of Allah وسلم, in terms of their relationship. That when the Prophet of Allah became a messenger, and the first person outside of his family that he came to was Abu Bakr. And he told him about Islam. And the Prophet Muhammad he said in the hadith that he said, every single person, when I presented Islam to them, they hesitated. And whether they hesitated a short while, or it took them days or a lot longer, he said every single person hesitated. Except, he said, except Abu Bakr. As soon as I presented Islam to him, he instantly believed it. And such was the mindset of Abu Bakr. He never worshipped idols. He never used to get drunk. He had a mind that he used. It's like he was he was waiting for he was waiting for something to come along. He knew all this was was wrong. He was, he was waiting for Islam, and as soon as it came, he instantly believed in the Messenger, sallallahu alaihi wasallam, and he became from that day the closest of the companions of the Messenger of Allah, sallallahu alaihi to him. Now, Bakr, in terms of uh, his family, he was married uh, to multiple wives. He had many children. And out of his sons and daughters, subhanAllah, his daughters are a lot more famous than his sons. And his daughters, of course, the ones that are well known are Aisha, عنها, one of the greatest women to ever walk upon this earth. And again, her own story in its own right would require so much to go into. But she was the wife of the Messenger of Allah, sallallahu And his other daughter, Asma bint Abu Bakr, Again, an amazing woman who had an amazing life. And you can get so much out of her story. But out of his sons and daughters, these two were the most famous, Aisha and Asma radiallahu anhumah. That was his, in terms of his family. Now, Abu Bakr, in terms of, uh, just to give you an idea of the, his, his physical makeup, the description given of him is that he wasn't a tall man. He had a lean build. He had a sparse beard. So when you looked at him, it's not like some, some intimidating person like Umar. But physically, he looked like an average person. He didn't look like much. But of course, we know his heart was something else entirely. And we know in terms of his character, we know he was kind, he was gentle, he was lenient. 
And you know, Aisha, when she gave a description of her father, she said he was so gentle-hearted that whenever he would lead the prayer, he'd be, he'd be so overcome by the verses that he would cry. And nobody would be able to understand what he's saying from behind him because he would cry so much. And such was the character of Abu Bakr. And throughout the life, his lifetime, anhu, just to give a brief summary, that during the whole phase in Mecca and in Medina, he was with the Messenger of Allah during all the most important events. So during the, the persecution the companions suffered in Mecca, he was in the heart of that. He freed and helped a lot of the Muslims that were being persecuted, the slaves such as Bilal, such as Khabbab. He tried helping as many Muslims as he can with his, with his wealth. He was there during the persecution of the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. He was there when the night journey took place. He was there when they were isolated for three years in Mecca and starving to death. He did the migration with the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And he took part in all the major battles of Islam. Uh, the battle of Badr, the battle of Uhud, the battle of Al-Khandaq, uh, the battle of uh, Tabuk, uh, Fatah Makkah, the opening of Makkah. So all the major events, all the major incidents, he radiallahu was there with the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam throughout that 23 period of, of, of the prophethood of the Messenger of Allah And in terms of his wealth, he spent his wealth for the sake of Allah. He sacrificed his family, he opened his house to the Messenger of Allah as he said once to the Messenger of Allah, my family, O Messenger of Allah, is your family. My wealth is your wealth. And when it came time to put that into practice, that's what he did, radiallahu anhu. And there's a famous incident we know when the Messenger of Allah, one of, during one of the battles, he asked the companions to spend for the sake of Allah. So Umar thought, I'm going to beat Abu Bakr. And Umar comes to the Messenger of Allah, he, he brought half his wealth to the Messenger of Allah. Abu Bakr, he came and he brought all his wealth. He sacrificed everything. And the Messenger of Allah asked him, Abu Bakr, what have you left for your family? He said, I have left for them Allah and his Messenger. And so during all the persecution, he was with the Messenger of Allah. During all the battles, he was with the Messenger of Allah. He was on the front lines. When it came time to sacrificing his wealth, he would spend all his wealth for the sake of Allah and his messenger. And, he would, and we know from the, the, the migration, he used his, his family members, his sons and his daughters to help uh, the, the migration of the messenger of Allah. Wasallam. So that's just a brief th- summary in terms of his life and how he was with the messenger, the events that he took part in, and the wealth and the sacrifice he made for the messenger of Allah. Wasallam. But now I would like to touch upon a few events and go into a bit of detail into them just to, to, you know, to give us a proper insight on the, the, the importance of Abu Bakr and what his heart and his iman and his character was really like. And we know when, when, whenever the companions are mentioned, you know, the standard name is always Umar. Umar was you know, f- so physically intimidating and so strong of character, so brave, quick to anchor, uh, anger, his temper, his harshness. You know, Umar's character always, you know, uh, when we think of the companions in terms of strength and character, Umar always comes to mind in this regard. But really, if you dig a bit deeper, there was no one amongst the companions like Abu Bakr. And his bravery and his courage and his steadfastness 
really was unmatched. And to give you an idea of this, very early on, uh, during the early stages of Islam, the period in Makkah, when the Prophet ﷺ first came to, to Quraysh as a prophet, and he, he spoke to them about Allah and the Quran and his message. And you will know the first three, four, five years of the period of the da'wah of his prophethood that were very, very hard years. Prophet ﷺ was harshly persecuted, persecuted, harshly criticized, harshly treated. And initially, those that became Muslim were really people that were, were weak in society. They were from the lesser known tribes. They weren't from the big tribes. None of the leaders of Quraysh came to Islam. There were people like the family of Ammar ibn Yasir. Uh, they were a weak family. People like Abdullah ibn Mas'ud, who was from a weak family. Slaves like Khabbab ibn al-Arat, like Bulal. They were all weak in, in terms of the, the status amongst Quraysh. So there was no one really for the Messiah to, to lean upon. No one to support him. And the Messiah he, he received you know, his persecution, you really, it's, it's indescribable. Day after day, he would go to the marketplaces to speak to the people of Quraysh, to speak to the leaders of Quraysh. And all he received was rejection, harsh rejection from ridiculing him, from treating him harshly, from calling him a liar, from mocking him, from making fun of him. Every single way that you can imagine, every treatment, to the extent that his uncle Abu Lahab, the narration said Abu Lahab would chase him through the marketplaces and he would call out to everyone and ridicule the Prophet and he would say he's a madman, he's a liar, don't listen to him. Can you imagine this day after day? This is the kind of persecution the Messiah faced. So as I said, there was no one to support him. And during one incident, one incident, Quraysh physically assaulted the Messiah so as he was, one time he was uh, making sujood in front of the Kaaba, one of the Quraysh, Uqba ibn Abi Mu'ayt, he saw the Messiah making sujood. So he came behind him, he grabbed his cloth, and he, he stepped on the neck of the Messiah and he started choking him to death. Now imagine now this situation. This man is choking the Messiah Umar hadn't become a Muslim yet. Hamza wasn't a Muslim yet. All the Muslims were weak. They can see the persecution of the Messenger of Allah But who's going to help him? They all were being persecuted. They couldn't even save themselves. So who's going to have the courage to stand up in front of Quraysh to what's happening to the Messenger of Allah put themselves at risk, their families at risk, right, and put themselves in really in great harm? And of all the companions, Abu Bakr saw this incident. And he rushed at this man and he shoved him off. And he said, rajulan an rabbi Allah? Do you kill, do you, are you killing a man because he is saying, my Lord is Allah? This was the courage of Abu Bakr. Anhu. When there was no one there to help the Messenger to stand up for the Messenger of Allah, he put himself at risk. He put himself in that position. And he very well knew the ramifications. So what did Quraysh do? They left the Messiah and they set themselves on Abu Bakr and they started beating him and striking him. Another incident, the narrations say they beat him so badly that when he came 
to his family. They said we couldn't recognize his face. His whole face was caved in. That's how harshly they beat him, physically assaulted him. But this was the, the, the bravery of Abu Bakr. The courage to stand up in front of Quraysh when Islam was so weak. The Messiah was so weak. And there was no one to stop this persecution or stand in front of it. Was Abu Bakr that put himself in harm's way for the sake of the Messenger and the message? And this is just a small insight into the bravery and the courage and the temperament of Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu. And moving on uh, to another incident of how he got the name As-Siddiq. As I mentioned earlier, his, his, we know his name. It's always mentioned Abu Bakr As-Siddiq, the truthful, the one that corroborates the truth. And so, maybe about eight or nine years during this phase of the da'wah in the early stages in Mecca, the Messiah was taken on a journey, we know, the ascension to the heavens. He went on the night journey. He went up to the heavens to speak with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then he went to Jerusalem to pray in, the, in, the, in, the, in Masjid al-Aqsa with the, the prophets and the anbiya of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So the Prophet when he went on this night journey, he traveled these distances to the heavens and then to Masjid al-Aqsa in Palestine and he came back in one night. When he told Quraysh of this news, everybody was shocked. What are you speaking about? You're a madman. You're saying in one night you went to Jerusalem, Masjid al-Aqsa and you came back and it will take us one month of journey to get there and one month back and you went all these distances one night. So the rejection of Quraysh was enormous. The ridicule was enormous. And it was, you know, it was such a hard thing to believe in that even some of the Muslims, they apostated from Islam when they heard this story. That this was craziness. What kind of story is this? So it was really a trying time for the Messiah and the companions. And so Quraysh, they thought, now we have the Messenger of Allah. We're gonna, they rushed to Abu Bakr and they said, Oh Abu Bakr, did you hear what your companion is saying? He said, what is he saying? They said, he is saying that in one night he traveled to Jerusalem and he came back. In one night. Abu Bakr said, did he actually say this? They said, yes. He said, if he said it, then I believe him. They said, do you believe him that he traveled in one night to Jerusalem and came back what takes a month journey? Just to get there? He said, of course. He said, I believed him in a matter greater than this. I believe him that he receives news from above the seven heavens. So I'm not going to believe him in this. And so this is where he got the nickname, the Sadiq, the truthful, the one that corroborates the truth. During a trying time, when the Messiah was shaken by this rejection, even some of those that had become Muslim apostated from Islam, Abu Bakr instantly, he said, if Muhammad said that, then I believe him. And so that is how he got his nickname, As-Siddiq, the truthful one. And moving on, uh, a few more incidents inshallah. Now to highlight you know, the, the, uh, the importance of Abu Bakr to the companions in his stance, after the message of Allah what he's, you know, he, the stances that he took really saved Islam and the Muslims. And none of the other companions 
can compare to Abu Bakr in what he did in these two instances. Really, these two instances are the most important of his life and they were the most important for Islam and the Muslims at that time after the death of the Messenger of Allah It was these two incidents that really showed the strength and the character and the courage and the importance of Abu Bakr to Islam and to the companions. And so the first such incident occurred during the death of the Messenger of Allah So the Messenger he gave, after he became a prophet, he gave a da'wah. We know he went through the Makkah phase of 13 years. Then he spent nine years in Makkah. Then when it came time, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala took his soul and he returned back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But the death of a prophet, especially Prophet Muhammad sallallahu is such a big fitna. It was such a harrowing experience. And to, you know, to, to shed some light on what this meant for the companions, that the Messenger of Allah the person they adored, the person they loved, that guided them, that was there for them in every single incident, whether in their, in, in their societal life or on the individual level, the comfort for them was always the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. So now can you imagine that the Messenger of Allah sallallahu was taken away? The Messenger, he's dead. The most beloved to them of all the people. So it was a great shock. And, and Anas, you know, he shed some light for us to, to truly give us the impact on what this meant. Anas radiallahu anhu, and he, Anas, you know, when he speaks, he lived a very long life. He lived over 90 years. And he was young when the Messenger of Allah died. So he saw a lot of events during the time of Abu Bakr and Umar and Uthman. But he said, in my whole lifetime, I've never seen a more blessed day, a brighter day, a more beautiful day than when the Messenger of Allah came to Medina. He said, that was the best day in my life that I've ever seen. But he said, at the same time, I have never seen a darker day, a worse day upon us than, the time with the, than at the time of the death of the Messenger of Allah He said, darkness engulfed all of Medina. And the companions that were in such a shock, you know, great companions, the ones that people looked up to. So the people are in a shock. The Messiah is dead. What do we do? The Wahi has stopped. And so they look to Umar, and Umar is running around. He's become mad. Umar said, No, the Messiah is not dead. He went to his Lord as Musa went to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He's coming back. He's receiving. Uh, um, Wahi and he's coming back to us. And whoever says Muhammad is dead, I will chop off his head. And this is Umar, the most senior of the companions, the strongest of the companions in terms of his iman, in terms of his understanding and knowledge. Ali didn't know what to do. Uthman didn't know what to do. Where did the people look? So Abu Bakr, he sees all this confusion. He sees this chaos. He walks in to Aisha's house where the Messiah was. He, he looks over the body of the Messiah he hugs him and he kisses him and he cries. And he said, truly the death that Allah has promised you has reached you. And then he came out to the people. And he said to them, Amma ba'd, Man kana ya'budu muhammadan, fa inna muhammadan qad mat. He said, whoever worshipped Muhammad, then Muhammad has died. Man kana ya'budu Allah, fa inna Allah hayyun la yamut. And whoever was worshipping Allah, and Allah is alive, he does not die. And then he recited the verse, 
وما محمد إلا رسول قد خلت من قبله الرسل فإن مات أو قتل انقلبتم على أعقابكم ومن ينقلب على أعقابيه فلن يضر الله شيئا وسيجزي الله وسيجزي الله الشاكرين He said Allah subhanahu wa says in the, in the Quran and Muhammad is not but a prophet قد خلت من قبل he's just one prophet and many prophets had come before him فإن مات if he's, he dies or he's killed Will you then turn your heels on Islam? And whoever turns his heels upon Islam and goes back to kufr or goes to something else, he then he will not harm Allah subhanahu in any way. And so Ibn Abbas, he narrates about, about this, this incident when, when the people saw Abu Bakr reciting this verse. He said, by Allah, wallahi. It's like, he said, it's as if the people had never ever heard this verse from the Quran. They were so shocked. They were so out of their senses. It's like they, never had, they had never heard this verse. So he said, everybody started repeating this verse. And he said, Every, any person you come across, they were repeating the verse, وَمَا مُحَمَّدٌ إِلَّا رَسُولٌ قَدْ خَلَتْ مِنْ قَبْلِهِ الرُّسُلُ And Umar, he said, when I heard this verse, he said, my feet couldn't hold me anymore. That's when it sunk in. And I dropped down. And I knew that Allah subhanahu wa has, has taken the soul of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa and so we see here in this instance the shock of the death of the Messiah and really what, what it could have meant had Abu Bakr not been there, had he not taken that stand, had he not calmly led the people, had he not recited this verse to them, who knows what path that could have led them. If the greatest of the companions like Umar were in disbelief and wanted to go around killing people, that's the shock that the companions and the craze that they were in. So who knows where, what, where this could have led them to. It was Abu Bakr in this instance to save them from this fitna, from this shock, from this tribulation. Yes, Muhammad Wasallam is dead. Yes, he was the most beloved to us. But we're not like the Christians. We were not worshipping Muhammad. So the Christians, when Isa died, they were all, got, all led astray. Everything was dissolved. Christianity, the deen that Allah sent at that time, everything crumbled. So this could have happened at this time as well. But Abu Bakr told them, remind, reminded them, Muhammad saying he is a prophet. Yes, we love him. Yes, he is the messenger of Allah, the most beloved. We're not worshipping Muhammad. He's a prophet of Allah, وسلم, and now he's returning to Allah. And the Lord of Muhammad, Allah, وسلم, that is who are we worshipping. He's still alive. We still have a mission. We still have Islam. We still have a da'wah. And so this really saved the companions really from going astray, from a, from a great fitna. So this was one of the incidents where Prophet, uh, Abu Bakr, his leadership and his qualities and his temperament really saved the companions from being led astray. And the final incident that I will mention, inshallah, before we wrap up, is after the death of the Messiah, the Muslims came together and they wanted to choose a leader. So when the Prophet ﷺ was alive, he was their leader. He was the Prophet and he was their leader. So now who is going to lead Islam? Who is going to lead the state? So there was some dispute amongst the companions. But eventually they all agreed upon Abu Bakr But the death of the Messiah ﷺ triggered events in all of Arabia. And I said that the death of the Prophet was such a big fitna. Not just on the companions, but on all those who had become Muslim. It was such an event and such a fitna 
that most of those that had come to Islam, most of Arabia had apostated and left Islam. So now after all the hard work of bringing Arabia to Islam, and all the jihad and all the battles, now other than At-Taif and other than Mecca and Medina and, and some parts of Yemen, the rest of Arabia had apostated from Islam. So now the companions that were surrounded again by kufr and mushrikeen from all sides. And so Abu Bakr became Khalifa during this moment. When he announced, his, as his Khilafa was announced, people started apostating from Islam. And some of them left Islam outright. Others, they said, look, we still want to be Muslim, but we have some demands. They said, we don't want to pay zakah. Whatever zakah we were paying, whatever arms we were paying from our properties, from our wealth, uh, we don't want to pay that anymore. And so now the companions that were faced with all of this, that found themselves now we are a minority, um, our army is small, Arabia has apostated. The Messiah had given instructions before he died, to, he gave instructions for, for an army to be sent under the leadership of Usama ibn Zayd. He was still a young man. He was about 18 years of age. So not only are we in this difficult position, but the Messiah has asked for this army to go out and fight the Romans. And now really Medina, this is the, the main portion of, of the army. It's going to be left unguarded against the apostates. And so the companions thought that it's not necessary now to, to send the army of Usama. We should leave his army here. And you can imagine now, you know, the, the, the tribulation, you know, the, the, the shock was so great upon the companions, you know. Um, nobody knew exactly how to face it. How do, we, how do we pass through this? How are we patient with this? Everyone has apostated. Everyone is, ag is against us. How do we deal with so much external pressure coming down now on the companions? Right? Islam was at a great threat. If Medina is wiped out, all of Islam is finished. Right? Arabia should return to what it once was. So under all this duress, under all this heat, the companions thought to themselves that, let us go and speak to Abu Bakr. And, and they sent Umar anhu to speak to Abu Bakr. They said, oh Umar, you go and speak to the Khalifa. And so their logic was that, okay, a lot of people have apostated. We know they're apostates, not Muslim. But they said the ones that became, uh, that, that are still saying they're Muslim, but they don't want to pay the zakah. So they thought, these people, why should we fight them? All right, Let, let's, let's come to a deal with them. At least keep them on side for now. While we deal with the apostates, why face everyone all at once? How can we overcome all that opposition? So Omar goes to Abu Bakr and he says to him, Look, let's not fight those that are saying they don't want to pay the zakah. They're still saying, La ilaha Muhammad Rasulullah. You know? And he quoted to him to, uh, the hadith uh, of the Messiah, the famous hadith, Umirtu an uqatila an nas, hatta yashhadu an la ilaha illahu anna Muhammad Rasulullah. Prophet said, I was ordered to fight the people until they testify that there is no God worthy of worship except Allah, and Muhammad is the messenger of Allah. And they establish the prayer and they perform the zakah and they give what is due. And so Umar's logic was that Prophet was ordered to fight them, but if they say La ilaha illallah, he said, We don't need to fight them anymore. Yes, they don't want to pay zakah, right? but they're saying La ilaha Muhammad Rasulullah. So we shouldn't fight them. At least keep these people on side for now 
Why we deal with the apostates? Why deal with all this opposition all at once? Even Umar himself, you know, we know the strength of his character. We know his courage. We know his character. Even he was buckling under this extreme pressure. So Abu Bakr said to him, Oh Umar, were you strong before Islam? And now you are weak in Islam? He said, by Allah, even if they used to give the Messiah the, 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 the rope that they tie the sheep with, even if it's such an item, small item, they used to give that in zakat to the Messiah I will fight them even if they don't give that to me. So Abu Bakr's understanding was that, yes, they say, but you can't just uh, force yourself on Islam. You can't pick and choose what you want from Islam. You can't say, yes, I want to believe in Allah, but I don't want to pay zakah. I'll pay zakah, but I don't want to pray. Right? Islam is not a deen you compromise with. Islam is not a deen you put conditions upon. Because today, if you are putting these conditions, right, in the future, what other conditions will you put upon, upon Islam? What other logic and rationale would you come up with? So if we allow Islam to be fractured or to be diluted, even in this small way right now, 10, 20 years, 30 years from now, right? anything is possible. It starts here, but it will end somewhere else entirely. So Abu Bakr had this foresight, had this insight, had this understanding that you can't compromise with Islam. If you reject zakah, you are like the apostates. You'll be fought until you pay your zakah. So he, Umar went back to the companions and he said, look, this is what happened. And Abu Bakr wants to fight them. So they said to him, okay, at least speak to him and tell him to send back the army of Usama. That's our, that's the, that's our most important army. They're our best soldiers. We need them to fight. We shouldn't be fighting the Romans now. We should deal with the apostates first. Deal with the situation at home. So Umar goes back to Abu Bakr. And he says to him, Abu oh, Bakr, this is what the companions are saying. Okay, if you're going to fight all the apostates and fight those that don't want to pay zakah, at least leave the army of Usama here. We need them. We need men. We're weak. Umar said, oh, oh Umar, do you want me to go against the command of the Messiah? This is something the Messiah, he stressed before his death, send out the army of Usama. He stressed it many, many times, even on his deathbed. Say, so Umar, uh, Abu Bakr says, oh Umar, uh, oh Umar, do you want me to defy a command of the Messenger of Allah, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam? Do something that he, uh, reject or leave something that he commanded? He said, by Allah, I won't. He said, by Allah, even if they invade Medina, and even if they reach Medina, they're about to kill me. If I, if I was the last person, I will fight him and I will send out the army of Usama. And so Umar he went back to the companions. He told them what Abu Bakr said. And when the companions saw the steadfastness of Abu Bakr, his, 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 how sure he was of the stance, uh, his rationale and the logic of his stance, that's when they understood that this is the right thing to do. That we must fight. That we have to send, fulfill the command of the Messiah. That we can't allow people to place conditions on Islam. That if you don't pay the zakah, even if you say, La ilaha Rasulullah, you will still be fought until you pay the zakah. And so, Abu Bakr rallied the companions. 
Uh, we know the rest. He, he fought against the apostates. He fought against those that rejected the zakah. He sent out the army of Usama. And within a few months, he had brought all of Arabia back into Islam. And then within a couple of years, they had invaded Iraq. They had went into Asham. And he sent out armies against the Persians and the Romans, the two superpowers of that time. But it was, it was, the, it was the stance of Abu Bakr. His firmness, his courage, his insight... They allowed the companions to take this position. Had he compromised, had he, he, he buckled into the pressure when all the... You know, imagine, everybody had apostated and all the companions now were against him. Umar was coming to him representing the, the companions that this is the wrong cause of action. We can't fight those that aren't paying zakah and we can't send out the army of Usama. This was a lot of pressure. And Aisha radiallahu anha, when she speaks about this incident, she said these first few months, this incident of the apostates and the army of Osama and those that rejected the zakah, she said if this, this, this pressure had been placed upon a mountain, it, was, it would have buckled the mountain. Right? She said, but Abu Bakr, he was able to take that pressure. He was able to withstand it and lead the companions in, this, in their time of weakness. And so had it not been for Abu Bakr and his stance, and had he a compromise and, and, and weakened like the rest of the companions and allowed those that were rejecting zakat uh, to reject the zakat and to put conditions on Islam. The scholar said this would have been a turning point in Islam and a turning point in, 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 in the ahkam of Islam and one by one the stripping of the ahkam. If people start, we don't want to pay zakat, then we don't want to pray, we don't want to do jihad, one after Allah until there's nothing left of Islam. So they said it was this stance of Abu Bakr that really turned the tide for Islam. And so the, the companions went from being you know, on the verge of destruction, right, of being a minority, of being weak, to within a couple of years of the Khilafah of Abu Bakr, they were conquering Persia, and they were conquering the Romans. And this was all because of the stance of Abu Bakr. And so these two incidents really highlight for us the importance of Abu Bakr, his greatness amongst the companions, his firmness, his character, his courage. And really, if it were not for him, at the death of the Messenger of Allah and dealing with the issue of the apostates, really, Islam, the history of Islam could have turned in an entirely different direction. But Allah saved Islam and saved the companions through Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu. And Abu Bakr, he lived to, he was about 61 years of age. And he became, he had a fever before his death and he became really unwell. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, took his soul. So he lived about 61 years of age before he went back uh, to his Lord uh, subhanahu wa ta'ala. So this was the life of Abu Bakr anhu. Um, the greatest of the companions of the Messenger of Siddiq, uh, the truthful one, uh, the closest of the companions of the Messenger of Allah. He spent his life with the Messenger of Allah through, through every single incident and event. He sacrificed many times all his wealth and he sacrificed his family uh, for, for the da'wah and for the Messenger of Allah And it was his stance after the death of the Messenger of Allah that saved the companions and saved Islam and that was really a turning point in Islam from really destruction of the companions and of Islam. And this was Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiallahu anhu, the greatest of the companions of the Messenger of Allah. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. 
Astaghfirullahi wa lakum fastaghfiruhu innahu al-ghafirur rahim. Assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.